Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. I'm Mike Turner and I'm the Corporate Bonds Reporter. I'm filling in this week for our usual hosts, Ralph Sinclair and John Hay. Later in today's show, we'll be talking about the busy fig market, which doesn't seem to have got the memo that it's summer and everyone should be sipping pina coladas rather than doing deals. But before then, we're going to talk about Gabon, the central African country that broke new ground this week with the help of a guarantee from the United States. I am joined today by George Collard, Senior Emerging Markets Reporter, and Frank Jackman, Deputy Fig Editor. Hello, gents. Morning, Mike. Morning, Mike. So, George, let's go to Gabon. Tell us what they've done this week. Well, Gabon has completed a debt for nature swap, which is the first ever from the African continent, and it's the fifth emerging market sovereign to have done one over the last few years. Um, others are Seychelles, Belize, Barbados, and Ecuador. Um, just at a very basic level, a debt for nature swap. Gabon issues a new bond and it has an insurance policy, as you mentioned, from a US agency, which means that that bond has a AA2 rating, which is far above Gabon's CAA1B- rating. So it means a lower price for Gabon. And there's a bit of comfort for investors because it's got uh, an insurance policy. Gabon then uses that money to buy back some of its euro bonds. In this case, it was $442 million worth. And it means Gabon has swapped some older, higher coupon debt for newer lower coupon debt so that saves some money uh, and the new bond also has a longer maturity at 2038 compared with some of the bonds it bought back which were 2025 and 2031 so it smooths out Gabon's repayment plan so effectively it saves Gabon some money makes its debt burden a bit easier and investors are happy because there's a ESG element which in this case means Gabon has some money saved that it can put towards marine conservation and they're also as mentioned comforted by the fact that there is a, a, an insurance policy. So is that is that the the for nature part of the debt for nature swap that it's just linked to ESG? Yes. Is there, is there anything there that's particularly different to any other ESG structure? In this case, yes, because there's a there's a liability management exercise. So compared with a green bond, for example, where if Gabon was issuing a green bond, it would just issue a bond on its own with the sort of explicit promise that that money would be used for anything that qualifies as green. Um, here, there's a liability management exercise where it's repurchasing some debt and then using the savings over the next few years uh, specifically for conservation, which in this case is marine conservation. Okay, so talk to me about the US insurance policy that has obviously uh, bumped the ratings up, as you mentioned, but what, what's the sort of real world impact that that's had and what does it mean for the execution of the bond? Well, for the execution of the bond, as you say, it, it's moved the rating up. A long way a double a2 and c double a1 b minus are very different worlds on the rating scale in terms of execution it, it really affects the investor base who's buying this bond for a double a2 bond is not really of interest to an emerging market fund manager who would normally buy gabon bonds um, and at the same time the kind of investors that are interested in double a2 paper uh, would would not buy Gabon bonds in a normal case. So it's quite a niche investor base. I think there's been some emerging market investors, some of whom hold Gabon bonds, but would not be buying this new one. They said the kind of investor who would be quite interested in it is a developed market focused environmental fund. Um, and yeah, as mentioned, they, they would not buy Gabon bonds without this guarantee. So was it, was it seen as US risk then? Effectively, yes. 
It has, right. as Moody's put it, it has the full weight of of the US behind it. This this insurance policy. So you, you would think then that um, the rates buyers, the sorts of people who usually buy US debt, would jump at the chance to buy this because if it's fully guaranteed by or fully insured rather by the US, then it's just a nice way to pick up another like 500 basis points spread. Surely. You might think so, yes, but it is still Gabon risk at the end of the day, um, which I think is a point that some investors have made yeah you might think this is you know six percent coupon for a developed market investor uh, which has a u.s insurance policy you know it's foolproof but yeah it's it is still linked to gabon and there are also you know there's the whole process that if, if gabon were to default on this bond it's quite a lengthy process potentially before anything gets sorted so it's it while there is an insurance policy that insurance policy doesn't change the uh, likelihood of, of any default on the bond. It just means that in the event of that happening, I think they're protected in a way that they might not be if it was just a purely Gabon bond. Right. I, I remember um, after this, it's showing my age now for how long ago I covered uh, the emerging markets, but I remember Ukraine had zero access to the markets after it was annexed by, uh, after Crimea was annexed by Russia, but before the invasion. And um, one of the only ways they could get access was was via a similar guarantee or insurance product from the US. Um, was that the case here? Would would Gabon have been able to access the markets without without the US uh, assistance? It's debatable. Um, it's not in debt distress at the moment. You know, it, it doesn't have its its yields aren't at levels compared with some of the other African sovereigns who are way above the the ten percent level that investors like to say is the sort of limit of where your yields can be before you issue a bond so it, it might be able to but it would be extremely expensive and it would be far more expensive than the six percent coupon that it that it got this week so the answer is maybe but even if it did it probably wouldn't be worth it something else that stuck out about this deal was that it was there was only a single um book runner on it in bank of america was that did that come across as strange? Did that? How did that go through in the market? No, it's not strange. All of the other debt financial swaps have had one bank on them. Uh, that was Credit Suisse. Um, one difference here is that it, that it was publicly distributed. So when the books opened, you know, any investor who wanted to could, in theory, look at it. Whereas the previous debt financial swaps have been distributed privately. Um, this was interesting. Because... I suppose that makes sense with. Oh, sorry. I suppose, I suppose that makes sense with what you were saying about it being a very niche investor base for these kinds of types of deal. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's only a limited number who would be interested in buying this new bond, um, which is and it, and it's interesting because there was only one bank on it, and we heard a few um, investors say that they they weren't aware that this was going on. So Gabon actually did it twice. They they opened their books on Thursday last week before halting the deal on Friday due to some treasury volatility that made pricing it quite difficult. It then reopened on the Monday and we heard some investors say that they were actually unaware that the second um, that the second attempt was ongoing. And I, I, this is not a criticism of Bank of America per se. I think some investors were probably would have preferred more banks to be on the deal because it was publicly distributed, um, simply because the more banks you have, the more breadth they have to, to get in touch with the more, sure, the more wider the more base of phones investors, that are yeah. being called exactly yeah right okay so do, do you, was there a, a degree of it being a bit more focused with the investors that were um looked at the second time around perhaps do you think um and perhaps yeah i think the, the interesting point is that the the spread at which the bond came 
So it was 180 basis points over US Treasuries last Thursday. And then when, when it was restarted, it was 200 basis points over. While US Treasury volatility could explain that, I think observers suggested that it was probably more that there'd been some more investor engagement and they'd re rejigged the pricing, um, which works because it, it priced on Monday. Right. Um, and yeah, a few hundred basis points over Treasury is not bad if you're a B minus rated issue. Exactly. 200 <laughs> basis points over Treasuries might sound a lot for some issues, but for Gabon, it is probably many hundreds of basis points lower than where it would price without a, a, a guarantee or an insurance yeah. policy. Good for them. So is there, are there any indications that more, more might be coming or has this sparked any other interest in African sovereign issuance, do you think? I think so, yeah. There's the general consensus amongst analysts, investors we spoke to that there are more of these to come. Um, it's quite a narrow band of, of issuers who could do it. it you're not going to see a Western European government do one, for example, because they do not need a guarantee or insurance policy from anyone to issue a bond. It, it is for, for countries that are either undergoing a, a restructuring like Ecuador was, like Belize was, or that doesn't really have market access and could do with a bit of help with its debt burden, which is someone like Gabon. Um, and secondly, of course, you actually do need some sort of well-known natural resources or, or um, environment to protect. So it, it, a classic case is in Ecuador, it was the Galapagos Islands, which everyone's heard of. And it's a, um, and yeah, in, in, in Gabon's case, it's a very well-known um, protector of its natural environment. It's heavily forested. It's got a really stellar reputation. Um, in, in conservation circles and this is being extended to its marine environment now sorry george do you think that borrowers could do it with social projects as well or do you think this is something that's a so it's essentially just for um environmental projects i think so one analyst we spoke to said that it, it could work for a number of um african sovereigns for example egypt is got a huge debt burden and i think some investors are a bit concerned about its longer term future as in whether it's going to default or not. Egypt doesn't have any obvious environmental assets that could be used for a debt for, for nature swap in this case, or, or a blue bond as they're also known. Um, but yeah, there could be other formats. And, and two analysts we spoke to about this Gabon story said that they, they do expect more of these types of transactions. And by types of transactions, I mean debt for something swap, um, which could be anything under the ESG umbrella. Yeah, it doesn't have to be the environmental part. Um, and yeah, it, it wouldn't have to be a blue bond. It's it's they just have the twofold advantage of ESG, which investors like, and helping smooth out and help uh, ease the debt burden of a country, which again investors like and issuers like. Okay, and moving to the fig market now, and a story written by uh, Atanas Dinov, Frank Jackman, and Bill Thornhill um, about how investors are buying from the beach uh, in an early restart for the market rather than waiting for the usual um, September period. So, uh, Frank, if you could talk us through what's, what's been happening in the frig market. Yeah, forget um, forget reading Dan Brown on the beach or uh, Michael Lewis. It's uh, bond term updates that investors are looking at. I don't know and which I prefer. Bond term updates are better written, to be honest. Um, well, Michael Lewis is good. Dan Brown, ugh, no, no. Um, but, yeah, the market has come back earlier than it has in the last couple of years. I was looking back at our own primary market monitor data and since we started tracking it in 2020, I think this is like the smallest summer break effectively. I know we had a Decabank deal late July, then uh, Barclays last week, and then all of a sudden we've had BNP Sterling, uh, we had 
handles banking tier two, SEB tier two in euros. It's sort of it's all exploded and it's exploding earlier than it has before. I think particularly seeing uh, Nordic names in there because Nordics, I'm half Norwegian and I know how uh, highly prized the summer holidays are for my <laughs> the Nordic half of my family. Um, so yeah, it's particularly in- interesting to see yeah SEB handles banking in there. Um, what what what's the what's the reasoning? Um, well, they well they they come out of the results uh, out of blackout, but also I know having grown up in the UK, I'm stuck into the mindset that school holidays end of July first week of september but it's not the same for other countries i know that in somewhere like sweden they do break earlier around midsummer, so mid-june so the schools actually come back earlier so there is a little bit of a difference in terms of the the school holidays but it is a bit surprising that you know the banks that are involved in these deals there's okay handles banking and seb both based out of uh, sweden but they were guys involved speaking to people in london speaking to people in frankfurt it's it's maybe not just it's a nordic thing it's across europe people are they might some of them are still on holiday people are keen to keep telling us they're on holiday but as the deals show people are not how much of this do you think is a hangover from the coronavirus pandemic of people just used to uh you know that more flexibility that came with work hours and working from home and you know, a slight upending of, of traditions. Uh, someone I spoke to actually this week said it it's something that's come about because of coronavirus, the fact that we can work from home. I know the three of us are now recording the podcast from home instead of in the office. And um, yeah, the market has definitely adopted to a very much a hybrid and sort of flexible working approach. I know I've heard people tell me before that they've priced deals from the beach or from weddings or from airport lounges and it's something that it's sort of been creeping through but i think it's been there in the background but i think this year there's been people say there's not been the best access to the markets which is perhaps one of the reasons why people are looking at any possible window yeah i think that's been something that's been seen across uh almost all markets particularly at markets with higher flow is mm. Um, the sort of window nature of markets has become much more uh, severe in that the timings that you can print deals are much shorter and much more well-defined because things like central bank meetings now are frequently live, meaning that there is you know, a rate rise that could change or some sort of big policy change. And data coming from countries is much more uh, impactful now with the threat of recession happening and things like that. Um, so yeah, you do get these, these much more specific windows. Um, but so tell me then, how have these deals gone? These that have come at unusual times. Well, to say they went well is maybe a bit of an understatement. I know to go back last week, Barclays got five and a half billion book for a Bain and Senior deal. The Handels Bank in tier two. And how, how big was the Barclays deal? It was about one and a quarter, in my head. So it was, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to embarrass myself with the maths, but that's between what four and five times covered. Um, but yeah, and then Handels Banking this week doing a, a 3.1 billion peak book for a tier two. And then, um, okay, yes, the next day SEB attracted a smaller book, one and a half billion peak for a 500 million no grow. But at the end of the day, the SEB deal is still two times oversubscribed. You know, we're looking at single digit to low 
double-digit new-issue premiums, which, considering that a covered bond is going to have to land with a similar concession, the fact that you can get a capital deal done, especially given what happened earlier in the year to the capital bond market, to get a capital bond done with five, ten basis points of concession is pretty impressive. Do you, but do you think that the because a similar thing has happened in the corporate bond market as well? The deals mm. that have come have I mean, it's been very, very few, but the, the deals that have come, they've all been in sterling, um, and they have all paid just a tiny handful of newish concession. Which, when you go back uh, to when the markets were busier, you could expect to pay sort of in the 20 basis points newish concession. Um, and part of that is going to be how good the names are, sure, but another big part of that is going to be that investors know there's nothing else coming, so just pile into these deals while they can. Um, is that a similar dynamic in FIG? Um, no. There's going to be more deals coming. It's going to be a busy couple of weeks, is what we've heard. You know, We haven't seen any cover bonds yet, but people are saying those are coming. Um, we've got people who are going to be looking at the market over the next few weeks, maybe a little bit next week the week after sort of exploding and yeah there's september late august september is typically a very busy period for um euro issuance from banks and one of the things that people i think one head of dcm actually mentioned to me was that with these deals coming earlier and the restart starting earlier we're not going to be getting into the final week of august and having seven deals all in one day and then six deals the next and oversaturating the market. Whereas, you know, we've maybe we can have a little steady trickle, a drip through of deals and it's better for the market instead of having everyone all at once to have little little bits spread out. And it's easier for us as journalists to cover. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the important thing when it comes to the capital markets, how easy it is for us to cover. And we also had a bit of a milestone in the uh, fig market this week with BNP Paribas bringing the first 81 in dollars uh, since the Credit Suisse debacle. Um, Frank, talk us through how that went. Uh, yeah, if you're a BNP treasurer, I think you'd be pretty pleased, to be honest. Um, yeah, the first dollar market 81 deal from a developed market bank since, I think even it was about a week or two before Credit Suisse, but yeah. Printed one and a half billion of perpetual non-call five paper at eight and a half percent, seven billion book. It's nothing to snip at, but uh, yeah, twelve and a half basis point concession. It's pretty, pretty solid reopening. It sort of shows to anyone else that the dollar market is there if you want to print eighty-one capital. And we had the Wells Fargo perpetual share, sorry, preference share deal uh, a couple of weeks back, which sort of laid the groundwork, and now. BNP Paribas has come in and served up a pretty impressive follow-on. And yeah, the question is now, will anyone look to follow? In, in fairness, uh, Paribas wasn't the first uh, bank to do an 81 in dollars that since Credit true. Suisse collapsed, was it, uh, George? Yeah, I, in my part of the world, in, in emerging markets, Abu Dhabi Islamic Bank, it was back in July, they, they issued the first um, emerging market 81 and, and it went as BNP seems to have done pretty spectacularly. Um, it should be mentioned that the emerging market 81 universe is pretty small. It's, I think, the entire debt stock of 81 in emerging markets is smaller than HSBCs, or at least around the same size. 
So are we saying now, though, that the fear around 81s has dissipated and it's sort of business as usual with, with these types of deals, do you think? I'd, I'd say so. I think um, you get a nice return if you're an investor. You're looking at 8 9% for some of these deals. And... But in, investors learn quite sharply that 8 9% comes at a cost, right? It, it does, but um, following Finmar's decision, we did have almost every other financial regulator in the world come out and say, look, we're not going to do this. Don't worry. So there is. And, and we should, we should. Sorry, friend. We should say that uh, the the what we're referencing is Credit Suisse's eighty one bondholders yes. were entirely wiped out when when the bank went bankrupt. Yes. Yeah. And that I think is still ongoing in the background. There's a lot of chatter around that. But in terms of new issues from eighty ones, people people are a bit um, yeah a bit more comfortable with these. You know, for these issuers. Eight nine percent for an issuer in dollars. It's okay. We were looking at three or four percent a couple of years back, but historically, eight or nine percent is where these guys are usually looking at. You know, and if you can attract seven billion for your deal and print with a very slim new issue concession, then if you've got eighty one in your bucket that needs to be filled, then why not take a look? I know. Do Do you think there will be more then? I sadly don't have a crystal ball, but I think that this was a great outcome for others to be looking. And I know I'm pretty sure every banker wants to bring an $81 deal to the market, given the fees that they'd probably get. But um, yeah, I think the, the number of 81s is, of course, constrained by the sort of the refinancing schedule and the, uh, the call schedule. Um, one person maybe said there was a bit of a will they won't they debate around some 81 calls that could disrupt the market again but for a heavyweight name like bnp Paribas, they're pretty they're pretty solid and we've got the 81 markets back in euros now it's back in dollars you know it, it's business as usual it's not too different from the hybrid market in the corporate mm. bond world um which is also subordinated debt and there was a big expectation when Credit Suisse did collapse that that was going to have a knock-on effect to the hybrid market, but it didn't at all. And there's there's more hybrids that are coming, um, maybe not next week, but certainly the week after, people are planning to bring hybrids. So, yeah, it's it's always interesting, I find, to see how quickly the market can bounce back from these huge, huge, unimaginable shocks. They suddenly become very imaginable and everyone sort of gets over it quite quickly. Yeah, I think it's also maybe worth mentioning that if you look at the um, CDS indexes, indices they're actually at some of the tightest points of the year so far i think there was a little bit of a blip after the u.s treasury volatility but the senior the itrax senior the itrax subordinated are tighter than where they were before credit swiss you know and of course significantly tighter than uh, the monday after well and I've, I've been writing about um banging the drum for a couple of weeks now about how fundamentals don't really aren't really being reflected in credit spreads and that kind of highlights it really because if you if you take out financials from uh the reporting season the q2 reporting season uh, earnings growth was down by more than 30 percent um financials have all done pretty well um which takes takes some of the heat off of the headline figure but it is strange that credit spreads keep grinding tighter when um 
there are so many sectors that are really facing quite a lot of difficulties when it comes to their bottom lines. And I do wonder when that might start being reflected in in uh, the you know bond market in the sort of yields that companies can expect to pay and maybe even access to the market in some cases. We saw um, earlier this year and last year how the real estate market was effectively just cut out of being able to issue bonds. There was one or two deals, but you know really nothing compared to, to what it was uh, because of investor fears around what was happening in real estate. So let's also move then to the more niche currencies of our world. Um, the fig market, which again has been really one of the main bustling markets um, this week, has seen, not only has it seen a dollar eighty-one, not only has it seen activity from the Nordics and from uh, mainland Europe, it's also seen some niche currencies come through, hasn't it, Frank? So what's been happening there? Yeah, we had uh, two UK banks raising just over 600 million Swiss francs with debut deals um granted one of them was significantly larger than the other but they were also in two different asset classes you know we had lloyd's came to the swiss market for the first time in search of uh, covered debt raised 440 million and then following day nationwide came in search of Balin senior paper you know they're a bit more of an active name uh, and they did some cover bonds earlier in the year and now they've complemented that with a Senior non-preferred note of that, I think it was 175 million. And, and why now for Swissies? It's very similar to uh, to the rest of Europe. The uh, all the guys in Switzerland are coming back from holiday. They're all uh, back, well, back from the beach, um, back in Zurich, and markets ready to go. And uh, of course, I know with the Swiss market, it's an arbitrage market effectively, and for these issuers both of which looked at the the shorter end of the curve the basis was there i know with the lloyd's deal it was a sort of high single digit arbitrage for a uh, 440 million but the other the other thing that's great to see with the the swiss market is it does mean that we're not going to oversaturate euros sterling dollars you know these other markets are are open aussie dollars we've had some stuff down there as well so it's it's pretty pretty healthy to see markets are open and functioning globally. You mentioned you mentioned the ARB benefits of it, but there's also a degree of um, investor diversification, or does that come uh, into it? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, for like a Swiss investors, they they crop up every now and then in a benchmark Euro deal, but for the most part, these guys are looking at Swiss only and in terms of you look at the um something like a lloyd's cupboard bond is coming at about 17 basis points over sour on mid swaps the sort of the swiss uh risk-free rate whereas the two swiss fanbrief banks fanbrief bank and fanbrief centrale are pricing single to double digits through Sauron. so you're looking at 20 to 30 basis points of difference between domestic covered bonds and foreign covered bonds and yeah that's a pretty pretty tasty pickup and of course it helps that unlike in the euro market canadian and australian uk covered bonds are all repo eligible with the smb so swiss investors can pick up these bonds get a nice tasty pickup to domestic paper and to the government curve and they can pledge them for repo 
So, so what's stopping more issuers from doing it then? Is it just that there is a limited demand in Swiss? Like, is there a sort of saturation level that gets reached quite easily, or is there just limited use for Swiss francs that issuers have? What's what's stopping more people from taking advantage? It's a bit of both, I think. I think there are definitely there are some names that are a lot more present in Swiss francs than the others, and those names can't like. Once once the lines are reached, it's going to be hard for some of these names to perhaps issue more. Um, but yeah, it's for those that can access the market, can find the basis swap that is attractive, that need the funding, that find the funding or have the have the asset pool to match the sort of required tenors. I know the short end is working better than the long end. I know there was a a very long dated SSA deal. That was rumored to come this week but i heard from people that the uh the basis swap might have shifted away from uh making that attractive so yeah if you if you've got funding you want to look at the long the short end sorry then uh take a look For all the stories discussed on this week's podcast, you can go to globalcapital.com. And of course, you can subscribe to this on all major podcast platforms. We come out every Friday. Thank you very much to George and to Frank, and thank you for listening. Goodbye.